the sleeper and the bust. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper and the bust. The sleeper and the bust. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris, and today we'll be discussing a Southpaw who enjoyed a rebound season and chatting about the first base crop. And the most interesting player alive today is actually going to be the Game 1 starter in the World Series, and that's, of course, Red Sox lefty John Lester. And Lester actually enjoyed a rebound season, 375 ERA versus 2012's bust of a year. He was at 482, and he was even better in the second half this year. 257 ERA versus a 458 mark in the first half. So I would assume if you were a Lester owner in the first half, you're like, oh boy, here we go again. But things changed in the second half, and suddenly he's close to being back to the John Lester we thought of him before last year. What are your thoughts on him, you know? Um, yeah, you know, I wanted to say that, uh, the, 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 the second half boom was all about uh, a velocity increase because there was a, a little bit of one. He, um, he went from around 93 on the four seamer to closer to 94. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm sure he figured something out health wise or mechanics wise, but you know, that's that's just one mile an hour, and and it's you know the the difference in FIP is pretty remarkable. He almost halved his FIP from four to closer to two in the second half. So I think um, you know when I was looking in the in the secondary numbers, I saw a little bit uh, with the changeup and the cutter. He started throwing both of those pitches more often. Actually, he threw the cutter a little bit less, but they were more effective. The the whiff rates on his cutter and changeup went up in the second half. And that could be set up by more velocity, so it still could be because of the velocity. But um, he definitely figured something out in the second half. You know, I owned Lester last year, and I recall reading about his issues stemming from the cutter. Maybe he wasn't throwing it enough, or he was throwing it more frequently, or there was something related to the cutter that people were speculating that's where his issues had lied. Um, I guess maybe he figured things out and the, the, the cutter was more effective this year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he threw it. He threw it a lot in the first half, uh, 28%. Um, and it was his, his biggest secondary pitch. And, uh, you know, he threw it a little bit less in the second half and the whist went up. So it, it, there could be something there that he fell in love with the pitch and, um, you know, it's also interesting that he's a lefty throwing a cutter a lot and uh, which has, you know, somewhat platoon splits. And then he, he started throwing the changeup more often in the second half. And, and uh, the changeup by whiff rate is actually his best pitch. Um, so that's that. I thought that was interesting. I didn't think that going in. Um, but uh, he gets 20 percent whiffs on that changeup and hmm. he's up to 14 using it 14 percent of the time. So. It's a legitimate changeup. Uh, maybe stepping off the cutter a little bit. Maybe that helped his velocity. He definitely, you know, he definitely got it going. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about him, you know, keeping it up though. Yeah, I mean, if you look at both of the the halves and look at their xFIP, 
he wasn't really all that different in the second half. The main difference was that he allowed much fewer home runs on his fly balls and he stranded more base runners. But his skills really weren't all that different. I mean, a 397 XFIP in the first half, 379 XFIP in the second half. So it looks like it was mostly luck-related. He wasn't that different. And it was just bad luck in the first half, good luck in the second half. And they just offset each other and it all totaled uh, what looks to be a bounce-back season. But it's funny because if you compare the skill set with 2012, again, it looks virtually identical. So I, I, I feel like he's a perfect example of looking beyond DRA, looking toward XFIP and Sierra and assuming that an established veteran like a Lester is going to see his ERA rebound back toward his ERA estimators. Yeah, and what's funny is that um, the result, um, if you actually look at his career, so he's going to be 30 going into next season. And uh, if you look at his career as uh, peaking in 2010, um, when he was 25, um, or 26, actually, because he he has a, a a January birthday. So if you if you look at his as his as his, as his career is peaking in, in in 2010 when he was 26, uh, he had a 3.25 ERA, a 1.20 WHIP, and 9.7 strikeouts per nine. Uh, so that was a great season, and um, and I don't want to take anything away from it. What I'm saying is, you can actually almost see a normal like a like almost like a bell curve that goes away from that season. So he had worse seasons before it when he was sort of establishing himself. He hadn't figured out how to use his arsenal correctly uh, for strikeouts. You know, he was, you know, developing his ground ball game. Then in 2009, 2010, 2011, he was basically an ace uh, in that he got 50% ground balls, you know, a strikeout per inning, um, and had good control. And then he's been falling off that pace um, since then. So I... I would expect that he has a couple more years where he can be, you know, a, a mid to high threes ERA guy with an okay whip. Um, but um, I don't really see a reason to think that the second half means that, you know, he's going to be an ace next year. And it's really interesting looking at that 2009-2010 peak because you basically have before that and after that. If you remove those two seasons, you have a very similar pitcher nearly every single year. And those two seasons actually correspond to his t- two highest velocity seasons. Those were the only two years that his fastball velocity sat above 93 miles per hour. And along with it, swinging strike rates above 10%, the only two years that it was even above 8.8%. So everything seemed to peak in those two years. And you wonder if it was uh, a mechanical thing that he's gotten away from, uh, or it's just the velocity, and, and maybe it's mechanics that helped him improve his velocity, or, or maybe it's just uh, an aging thing that the velocity has come down since. I don't know, but everything you look at, 2009, 2010, was his peak, and he's probably not going to come anywhere close to that again, and he's more of a, a high threes ERA pitcher like what he did this year. Yeah, you know, if you also look at his career rates, 376, you know, for ERA and whip, you know, I think that he's been overrated maybe more often than he's been underrated. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, considering he's on the Red Sox, a huge market, that would make sense. Yeah. 
And given and he, even though he's been on the Red Sox, I mean, yeah, he has good win totals, but you know, in 2012, he had nine wins. He's never he only had in that peak year he went 19 and nine. Otherwise, he's like a 15 win pitcher. So uh, I hate to say it. In, in fact, this might be blasphemy, but the wins sort of uh, kind of put him in the right place for me. <laughs> 15 win pitcher. Yeah, he's pretty good, but he's not an ace. Except in 2012, where he forgot how to win. <laughs> no will to win that year. No, he just could not will his teammates to win games for him. Of course, that may have had a little bit to do with the 4.82 ERA, but <laughs> well, you know, he also he did some things himself that year that were a little bit weird. All right, this is first base week on Rotographs, and we'll start things off with sleepers and busts. So, you know, give us a sleeper. And I know personally, I had a tough time coming up with. A traditional sleeper. So the guy I have is just somebody I think is undervalued, and we're probably going to end up going with the same guy. So who's yours? Oh God, we are, aren't we? Uh, you know, I and I I was going to say I have a hard time because you know uh, I don't really see a problem with. Um, I mean, I don't think Chris Davis is going to hit 50 homers again. Um, so if you want to, no, he's him, hit 60. <laughs> if you want to call him a bust, I don't think he's going to hit 286. So I would I would I would uh, bring him back to about 270. And 40 homers or something. Yes. Um, which will probably still have him in the top three at first baseman. So there's not really a problem there. Uh, Goldschmidt, I only see better things in his future. Maybe a few fewer stolen bases. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, maybe he can step back, but he's not too old yet. Uh, Ortiz is super old, and so you have that. And he, you know, you also have that risk that he'll lose that first baseman eligibility in dynasty leagues. But I mean, when he's in there, he's good. Uh, you know, so the, the top of the you know, Freddie Freeman, I don't think he's a lot more upside, but you know, he, I think that he he's okay on batting average. I, we'll we'll talk about busts later, but you know, in terms of, I don't see like I, I see those guys as all fairly well valued and 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 at the top of their game, and there's there's no real sleeper that I say, you know, Joey Votto could have a good year and go from seven, he was seventh ranked this year, he could go into the top three again, uh, but you know, just with a few more homers or something, but. Uh, I, yeah, in the top like 15 or so, I had a hard time. You know, maybe we'll talk about Alan Craig a little bit. You know, he's kind of interesting. But if you reach down to a guy that isn't in the top 20, but I think could be in the top 12 next year, which I think is a good sort of sleeper. That's that's a real sleeper to me. Someone who will cost me, you know, two, three, four, five dollars, and could be, you know, a twenty dollar uh, player, um, or at least a ten dollar player. That's Adam, that's uh, Anthony Rizzo for me. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Crap. But you know what? Before we actually talk about Rizzo, I'm actually really curious to see where he ends up going because I wonder if the hype is completely worn off or if he still retains that young power hitter with upside and he's not as cheap as we might expect given his disappointing season. I think there might be um, there might be some difference depending on your league, really, uh, because you know, judging from Twitter, um, I got a lot of uh, comments that were like, "I hate him. Uh, I dropped him uh, like X months ago, and I'm so happy about fantastic it." Fantastic news. Um, and so I think there's definitely going to be some leagues where people are just totally tired of him. Um, you know, leagues where someone tried to peddle him for a whole year and couldn't couldn't have trade him away. So leagues where the whole league is like, ah, that guy's a bum. 
But, you know, in my chats, uh, it's been a little bit more like, you know, I'm listening to you. I'm trying to have patience. I'm holding on to him in my dynasty league. I'm, you know, I'm interested in him next year, but he's, he's, he's trying my patience. So, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, the trying my patience leagues, he'll probably still go for more than, you know, he'll, he'll still be five, six dollars. You know, he'll, he'll be a mid round guy in those other leagues. He might be a final round guy. That would be crazy. I would be scooping him up. The thing that I love about Rizzo, though, is that it's mostly a batting average thing. I mean, sure, we all dreamed of 30 home runs, but it's not like he hit 13 or, or, or 15 or something. He hit 23 home runs. He does hit in the middle of the order. He even chipped in six steals. So it's essentially his 233 batting average, and that came with a 258 Babbitt. His batted ball profile looks fine. So this is the type of guy that you want to buy at whatever price knowing i mean look at eric hosmer eric hosmer was the exact same situation he batted like 230 last year and his bad completely rebounded he hit like 300 this year this is exactly what anthony rizzo was capable of yeah and and he has i think i take his power over yeah, hosmer's any day so I mean, he doesn't have the extreme ground ball split that that uh, that hosmer has so yeah, I don't, I don't, I look across his line and, you know, people complain, but he, he, he nudged that isolated uh, power a little bit ahead, you know, 186. It's not, um, you know, upper echelon, but if you look at his, you know, minor league stats, um, I could really see him nudging that further. And, and Steamer says a 219 ISO. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's, what's he going to be next year? Uh, and Steamer has him down for 30 home runs next year, so they're pretty optimistic. He's going to be 25 next year. He's not even going to be 25 until the end of next year. So 20, 24 years old, the, the power curve on a 24-year-old is still going up. You know, in terms of aging curves, the power should continue to get better. Uh, he's really young. You know, he still kept that batting, the, the strikeout rate under 20, which is to get a guy that might have a 200 ISO next year and strike out less than the league average is already something I'm interested in. So... You know, there's nothing, no extreme, you know, he didn't hit infield fly balls. You know, Manny Machado, people love Manny Machado. It, Manny Machado hit infield fly balls like nobody's business. So, you know, there's nothing like that in Rizzo's line. I I just don't, uh, I don't really see a reason to be pessimistic about him next year. I, I, I'm going to rank him in my personal, you know, top 12 to 14 and, and be really happy to get him as a as a late uh, first baseman. I'm going to give you three reasons to be pessimistic and play devil's advocate just a bit. First, his batted ball distance last year was 295 feet, and that seemed reasonable given his huge power in the minor leagues. But this year it fell to just 287, and you would think that somebody like Anthony Rizzo would be capable of better distance. So that's a little bit concerning. Of course, we could see a rebound, but we would have liked to see something closer to what he put up in 2012. The other issue, and this is probably more important, is that he can't hit lefties, at least yet. In 320 or 356 career plate appearances versus lefties, he only has a 275 Woba versus a 343 mark in his career versus right-handers. So, I mean, we've seen this before where lefties come up, they suck against lefties, and then, you know, soon they figure out and they're fine. So there's obviously hope that Rizzo can do that. Obviously, it's far too early in his career to claim that he's just a platoon player. Oh, but, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You were talking about his Babbitt, right? Guess but what you know what? 
Guess yeah. what his BABIP is against righties? His career BABIP against righties is 294. His career BABIP against lefties is 212. But check out the batted ball distribution. He hits fewer line drives and more pop-ups. So although that probably doesn't translate to a 212 BABIP, it's clear that he has trouble scoring up on the ball against lefties a lot more so than against righties. Oh, you're right. His infield fly ball rate is almost double. Well, you know, so, you know, yeah, okay. So give him an ex-BABIP of, even if you gave him an ex-BABIP of 260 or something, um, you know, if you look at, I don't see extreme splits here. And I like, I like, you know, his walk rate against lefties, it drops from 11 to 8.4%, but that's still league average. So he becomes way more league average against lefties. But if you're plus plus against righties and you're league average against lefties, then then I don't think you get platooned. Yeah, actually, that is the good news. Yeah, because, uh-huh. you know, he's still league average in, in walk rate, still league average in strikeout rate, and even even with the bad BABIP, his ISO is 150. So he's basically league average in all the components. It just looks bad overall because of a bad BABIP. Yeah, if you ignore the BABIP, he's actually kind of respectable. A 150 ISO versus lefties, it's not like he's completely powerless. He's not striking out a ton. His strikeout rate versus lefties is barely worse than versus righties. So all of those metrics gives one hope that he'll figure it out because he's, he's not he doesn't appear completely helpless against lefties. I need to check someone real quick. I want to check someone real quick. I'm uh, pulling up the splits on Mitch Moreland because... You know, Mitch Moreland actually has some things in common with uh, with Rizzo in terms of, you know, some up and down in terms of his pedigree, you know, and, and when he came up, you know, could he hit lefties or not? And he, he got uh, sat against lefties a lot. And if you look at his component pieces, so Moreland against righties walks 9% of the time, sounds a little bit like Rizzo. Against lefties, he walks 6% of the time. So that's kind of a big drop. Uh, versus righties, he strikes out 19, 20% of the time. Against lefties, it's 23%. So that much worse. Yeah, and his ISO against lefties for his career is 126. That's it's bad. 205 against righties. So the, all of those splits are worse. And uh, and his BABIP is actually better against lefties. So you can't even blame it on BABIP. So I would say that if I look at if I look at these two players, I would say Mitch Moreland. You know. We, we also have learned that lefty splits like this aren't predictive for a long time. You know, even though we'll see teams sit guys, that's mostly due to scouting, I think. They've said, we see something that he's doing against lefties that's no good. So uh, one nice thing is Mitch Moreland was sat against lefties. All of his numbers were, uh, component numbers are worse than Rizzo. Uh, Rizzo has not been sat against lefties, and his component numbers are better than Moreland. So I think... In that sense, he's uh, less likely than Mitch Moreland to be platooned next year. Oh, yeah. I think it's way too early in Rizzo's career to automatically anoint him uh, a platoon player. And with Theo at the helm, uh, I'm sure he's not going to let that happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to, you know, until until they, you know, have, uh, you know, uh, a postseason berth in their grasp in the second half, I don't think that uh, Theo will do anything like take a struggling uh, starting pitcher out of the rotation. You know, I think he's going to keep his eye on the future until, oh my gosh, we're in the wild card race. All right, how about a bust? Uh, a bust. All right. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be a little different. I thought I saw some names that you you might name. I mean, Michael Kadir is getting kind of older, <laughs> um, and it's surprising that he was. He was uh, fine. Yeah. He was my bust for. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to preempt you. I, the only the only thing that I that I 
wanted to be a little different was that I see Adrian Gonzalez there at number 13. And um, he does it by having a good batting average, something I think he can do again, by driving a run, something I think he can do again, and uh, by hitting enough home runs that he's going to be worth something. So it's weird for me to say he's a bust and say I think he can do most of the things he did again, but I just don't see him advancing. You know, I don't, I don't see the there. I don't see any upside remaining. I think this is Adrian Gonzalez at his best, and his worst, he's going to get hurt, miss time, that sort of stuff. Th- things that happen to old people. So, <laughs> makes me look forward to getting old. Oh, it's been, you know, this year I've been like feeling it a little bit. Um, so uh, Alan Craig, who's sitting right behind him, Alan Craig is a little bit older than people think, but you know, just based on upside. And probable cost, I would think um, I would be interested in Alan Craig. You know, I'd like to find out what happened to Adrian Gonzalez's walk rate because from 2008 to 2011, he was consistently above 10%. He had the big year in 2009, and then 2010 was another 13% rate. Then it collapsed in 2012, and it rebounded by a smidge this year, but it's well below average. And you don't expect that from a, a guy like Adrian Gonzalez who – is a, an established veteran, and most pitchers still probably think of him as a, a top hitter. How does he walk so infrequently all of a sudden? I, I just, I'm confused by what happened. I would assume that his power has disappeared just because of the shoulder has just never been the same, but I just can't explain that walk rate. Yeah, I mean, it could have something to do with, uh, well, let's look at his uh, hit by pitches. Uh, yeah, there's something there, but not really. Uh, he only got hit once this year. He got hit a little bit before, but, um, I, you know, I think that it could be something about the, you know, quote unquote feared slugger syndrome. And he's no longer one of them. Yeah. I think, you know, also there's a little bit of a bell curve action going on there. I mean, he had those big walk rates in the middle of his peak, you know, and, uh, now he's 31 going on 32. So. Um, I guess, you know, Steamer, Steamer asked for a little bit of a rebound. Um, and I think he is, you know, watching him, it seems like he has a decent eye at the plate. Uh, I'm surprised I would have, I would have, uh, given you without looking, I would have given you a better number than the 7.3% walk rate he had this year. Yeah. And I believe from memory that the aging curve for walk rate is that increase, it increases with age walks. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I can check that for you pretty quick. I mean, it probably peaks at a certain point, uh, maybe early 30s, because then eventually pitchers will not be afraid because the hitter is old, and so they want to throw him strikes. But I'm pretty sure that when you start from the early 20s, that it increases gradually. I mean, maybe he's at the point where it already peaked, but it seems like it kind of collapsed earlier than you would expect. Everybody uh, gets worse with age. (laughs) Uh, and in every way, uh, walk rates, uh, are steady until 30. Oh, okay. So, and, uh, they are one of the later things to, uh, start declining, uh, ground ball rate. Uh, you start hitting more ground balls with age, um, starting in 28. So if you have a ground ball problem, um, you know, like Hosmer, for example, is, uh, you know, when he's 29 or something, he might start hitting more ground balls again. <laughs> oh, boy. Juan Pierre, here we come. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, strikeout rate, 
uh, strikeout rate and walk rate are actually decent. You know, I think you, there's a lot of learned skill, learned um, skill going on there where they learn the league and they learn who's going to throw on what, where, and they can start to avoid things. So, you know, walk rate, uh, walk rate is best until 30. Strikeout rate starts declining at 29 or so. All right, so let's just quickly talk about Michael Kadire, because I think, as you said, he was a pretty obvious bus candidate. He finished the season eighth in overall fantasy value, despite not even reaching 500 at-bats. And he's going to be 35 next year, and the majority of his eighth earned value comes from the 331 batting average, which is crazy because his previous career high was just 284. It's not even like he's hit 300 a couple of years, and this just happens to be his career high. He's never hit above 284. So he did that with a 382 BABIP, which, of course, as you can imagine, is also a career high. Um, his batted ball, ball profile looks good just because he only hit two pop-ups all year, which was a career best. But his ground ball, fly ball, and drive rates were all similar. And, and clearly, it doesn't seem to match a 382 BABIP, even though he's in course field. It's just yeah, that's, that's the that's the crux of my devil's advocate argument on Kadir is just that I don't think that people respect him and, and that you know I think there's a, a an argument to be made that he could be a cheap dynasty acquisition because you know he's still going to play in in, in uh, course uh, and he had a 401 BABIP there which is uh, is pretty nice <laughs> uh, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to repeat that but course is a really nice place to play half your games and. You know, I guess in head-to-head, there's a little bit more uh, question of when he's playing at home and, and when that's going to help you. But in Roto, you know, you get those stats. And uh, I, I, would, I love buying into, into cores. So um, I know there's, I, I would say that there's going to be some step back. But in terms of, you know, uh, non-batting average uh, parts of his line, I do think that most of those things he can do again. I mean... Maybe take a stolen base or two away, but he can hit 20 homers. Yeah, and, uh, he could actually play more than he played last year if he if he's healthier. So, um, you know, there there are things there that uh, aren't so obviously gonna just disappear. He's kind of one of those boring old veterans that he does more than you expect, and if you end up drafting him, you're not excited about it. You're like, oh, Bly ended up with Michael Kadire, and you don't realize that he went 2010 this year from a first baseman. And, and he's done that before, so it's not like it was a complete fluke. I just worry that he's 35, and as you were saying, with aging effects and, you know, they get worse at everything, 35 is old, and they have no DH to, to, to stick him and hide him in, and so there's going to be a season where he just collapses, and you just don't want to be the one to get him the year that that happens. But yeah, I, I find that he's typically undervalued most years as well. I know heading into the year, I thought he was undervalued. But it'll be interesting to see where he ends up going next year. Because I, I think eighth, I don't think he's going to finish eighth, but he might not end up being undervalued. Uh, I'm sorry. He might not end up being overvalued. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I you know, it, it all depends on what your actual conversations are with people. But um, I, I would say that in general, he's not like, uh, he's not a buzzword, you know. I don't think that people are excited about him. So, uh, in that way, he could actually, you know, end up dropping, you know, because you know that's another thing. Our readers, and I think in general, um, you know, fantasy fans now are are more, um, are, are pretty well versed with batting average on balls in play, and 
and uh, they can look at that and say, oh, 380 is going to suck. And then there might be too much of a backlash, you know, because he's probably going to have a higher BABIP. And, and, and the way that Coors works is that it's such a big outfield, and the, the, the outfielders often have to play back because the balls travel further, that one of the secrets about Coors is not necessarily the homers, it's the uh, dinks and dunks that hit between the infield and the outfield. Yeah, because it's, an, it's actually a big park in terms of dimensions that I'm sure people don't realize. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's actually a nice place to go shopping for batting average. And, um, you know, if there's too much of a, of a backlash and people think he's going to hit 270 like he did with the Twins, I would say I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. But otherwise, I mean, yes, obviously he has his flaws. All right, let's talk about a pair of hitters who I want to lump together because they actually endured a similar fate this year, and that's Alan Craig and Billy Butler. Both of them make pretty good contact. You can count on them for around the 300 batting average, but they both suffered a power outage this year and simply did not hit enough fly balls. Both of them under a 30% fly ball rate with the likes of Ichiro Suzuki, Eric Young, basically speedy slap hitters with limited power. So what happened here, and can we expect the power to rebound next year? Well, you know, it's hard to say. I feel like, uh, you know, Billy Butler has always had the ground ball problem. Um, you know, we have a little bit less of a, a track record when it comes to Alan Craig. And uh, that's a boon and a bust. I mean, in terms of, you know, uh, it would be nice to know for certain that um, the 17% and the 18% home run per fly ball rates that we saw out of Craig in his first uh, two attempts at the league or you know, his first bigger samples were the real numbers um, and not the sort of league average number he put up last year. Um, whereas with Billy Butler, I think we know who Billy Butler is. I'm not, I'm not really waiting for too much of a rebound. I, I thought that one year with the, the nice home runs was at um, 2000 and... Uh, 12, uh, I thought that was the outlier. I mean, if you look up and down, he's a 15 to 20 homer guy. So, you know, I don't think that there's uh, any secrets uh, Billy Butler is, is holding back. And, you know, when I, and when I talked to him, he was pretty obvious about it. And he said one of the most interesting things to me that one of the that a hitter ever said to me this year, which was that uh, when I asked him about his ground ball rate, he said, yeah, I'm looking low because pitchers throw it low. And, uh, and since pitchers throw it low, I'd rather be looking there because that's where the balls are going to be. And if I get a good ball there, then I'm ready for it. Uh, so that doesn't sound like to me a guy who's uh, going to push his fly ball rate up next year. Huh. That's really interesting and weird. It, it, it makes sense in terms of on-base percentage and BABIP and, and batting average, which are all things that are strengths of his. You know, he's, he's always had a great batting average on balls in play. He's always had a great on-base percentage. And I think that's partially because he's looking to hit the pitchers where they're trying to be. So, and he's avoiding all the stupid pitches, all the high pitches that are not often not called strikes, that are hard to hit, that are you know sometimes become homers. But by avoiding those, he he improves himself in so many different ways. So, uh, it's a little bit of the Votto uh, the Votto treatment, and. Um, you know, I you know, with the fact that ground ball rates uh, get better, get worse as you get older. Um, you know, he's going to be 28 next year. We're going to start seeing the ground ball rate slough, uh, start to get uh, higher because he's getting older. Um, so, 
Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to see much different from him. Twenty homers, uh, three hundred batting average. Speaking of Joey Votto, it seems pretty obvious that Alan Craig graduated from the Joey School uh, Joey Votto School of Hitting. His batted ball distribution this year was nearly exactly what Votto put up: uh, a high line drive rate, fewer than thirty percent fly balls, and only four pop ups all season long. So that kind of legitimizes that 368 BABIP, and he has a 345 BABIP for his career. Yeah, the, the only problem is that Joey Votto uh, plays in Cincinnati, and uh, Alan Craig plays in St. Louis. So, uh, you know, half your games in a, in a park that helps you with homers, and half your games in a park that doesn't, that sort of suppresses you with homers. Actually, St. Louis is sort of a, a secret uh, pitcher's park. Um, you know, Steamer's projections have him for a little bit of bounce back. If you projected those over a full season, it'd be 20 homers again. Um, you know, I guess between the two, I guess I might take the proven commodity in Billy Butler, but uh, I don't see either as being way better than the other. Yeah, what's interesting about both of them also is that their 2012 performances kind of inflated expectations beyond what these players are. I think people expected much more power from both of them than what their true talent levels are. And if you look at their batted ball distance and their history, they're just not that type of a hitter. Well, Alan Craig has shown pretty good power and that type of mid-20 home runs power. But his distance doesn't really match up with it. And it's not like he's young that we're going to expect that that distance and that power is going to continue to increase. I mean, he's going to be 30 years old next year, and I think that might surprise lots of people thinking he was some young hotshot. He's not. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that the Car- the Cardinals do is just they're always good, so you know they can they can keep their prospects in the in the you know they can spend more development time in the minors. You know they can have their prospects fail more in the minors and come you know to the majors more ready to contribute. So um, I think that's the thing they did with Alan Craig. And uh, I mean, to be fair, also Alan Craig had to find a position. You know his his glove isn't isn't any good, and he sort of hit his way to the majors. Where um, you know they might give uh, Tavares a type of shot because he's better than John Jay defensively. Do you remember when they were talking about Alan Craig playing second base? How hilarious is that? <laughs> well, hey, come on, that's a team that has tried a lot of people at second base that probably shouldn't play second base, including Matt Carpenter, and obviously that experiment succeeded. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look great out there, but, uh, you know, I guess while he's young enough, it'll be fine. And then, you know, when he's too old, they'll trade him or they'll trade somebody else and they'll put him at first. Yeah, and we have to remember that next year with Carlos Beltran and John Jay going to be free agents, that means that Matt Adams could start at first pushing Alan Craig to right field. And Alan Craig roaming around in the outfield as opposed to just standing around at first base, it's... It could hurt him stamina-wise, and it's going to probably lead to a little more wear and tear than normal. And I don't know if we've ever had any studies that looks at that type of thing, like how a move to a more demanding position uh, affects performance. Off the top of your head, are you aware of any such study? Uh, I've seen some stuff from Zimmerman about uh, DL rates per position, and... uh, there's a there's some stuff about uh, a couple places being more uh, a little bit tougher, like uh, shortstop and catchers miss a little bit more time, 
but it, it's not as obvious as you might think. And uh, it's definitely not based on one player moving from one place to another. So uh, I'll, I'll take a look for that. But, uh, you know, Matt Adams, I guess, could be a sleeper for us. Uh, I have a feeling that he did enough to kind of make him go up, up, up on the... Uh, yeah, I don't... I don't think he's going to be a sleeper. I think that if it's announced that he's going to be the everyday first baseman, the hype is going to be sky high. He'll be listed as a sleeper in every publication, and he's not going to be a sleeper. Given what he did in September, if anything, he's going to be overvalued, I think. Yeah, and the potential is there because I see a guy who strikes out more than a quarter of the time uh, and has a swing strike rate that says that that's true. He's a... He's a big pull guy, so I don't believe the uh, the batting average on balls in play. And they started shifting him more, so I I, I think the the Babbitt could really take a dive next year um, if he doesn't do something to sort of adjust to the shift. We're talking about a guy who could even go under his 270 uh, projected batting average. So if he hits 260, takes it all of a step back with the power, and you've got a 260 20 homer guy uh, or 25 homer guy even. That's, uh, I mean, just that sounds okay. And if you did get him for cheap, then that's fine. But if you, you know, paid inflated sleeper prices for him, a 260 with uh, 25 homers looks like it would be, you know, below Brandon Moss. So we're talking 16th or 17th best first baseman. Right. And Matt Adams is a lefty also. So you don't know if he's going to even get the chance to face lefties every day. So Moss could be an apt comparison. Yeah, so I, you know, so I, I and if you're looking to try and get a, a top 12 first baseman for cheap, I'd much rather do Anthony Rizzo. But uh, you know, if it, if you are in a league where people are are you know not so excited about him, and you can get, you know, I wouldn't say Anthony Rizzo should be your only first baseman. So I, you know, I would I would say an Anthony Rizzo Matt Adams combo would probably get you you know two guys in the top 20. And, 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 you know, a first baseman of utility that are good enough or an Anthony Rizzo, Brandon Belt combination. You know, there's ways to go cheap at first base. It's a, it's a position I like to go cheap at. So we've talked about a couple of players who kind of look like Joey Votto at the plate in terms of their batted ball distribution. And there's another one in Freddie Freeman who hits tons of line drives and avoids the pop up and had a sky high 371 Babbitt kind of like Joey Votto did as well. Is there any more upside from Freddie Freeman, or is this as good as it's going to get? Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, telling people how little upside uh, Freddie Freeman had left, and I didn't even believe he would hit 319. So uh, I will once again say I think this is the, the ceiling for him. Um, I just don't see uh, – I mean, yes, he is only 24, so um, – uh, yeah, 24 right now. So there is a possibility of a little more power. Uh, he had a 196 ISO last year instead of a 181 this season. So um, you know, if he hits, if he hits like the 200 level, you know, uh, even if he does though, he has to play a lot. But if he does, uh, you could see him hitting 25 homers uh, with a 300 batting average. That's it's just not. I don't see him ever hitting 30 homers. Is what I'm saying. You know, I don't think that he's that far off because I can see his average distance this year increased to 294 feet, ranking him 35th in baseball. And and that means that one of these years, I, I can see him grow into a, 
a high teen, like a 17, 18% home run per fly ball rate guy. And that could, I mean, if, if he ever gets 600 at bats, which he hasn't yet, that can get that could get him pretty close to the 30 home run plateau, I think. So I do think that he has a bit of upside there. And uh, I think he's probably a legit 290, 300 hitter or so. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, I guess I said once that I think he could maybe hit 30 once. So I think there could be a peak season in there. But, um, I mean, he's just been so steady. It's three years, 21 homers, 23 homers, 23 homers. You know, it's like, you know, over 620 plate appearances every year. Minor little leaps forward and little things around the periphery, but not uh, not anything that says, you know, this is year he's going to hit 30. So I just, for me, I think, you know, if, if, he, if, if he falls because people think he's bland, then it's fine. But I just feel like there's always going to be an Atlanta fan. And there's always going to be someone who thinks he's going to hit 30 this year. And there's always going to be someone who's going to pay more than me. What's actually interesting is that he strikes out uh, – not strikes out. He swings and misses with a swinging strike percentage well above the league average. And yet his strikeout rate is essentially league average. So there's some disconnect here that makes me worry that his true talent strikeout rate is worse than what he's been posting. Yeah, I think there is some of that. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot of swing and miss. Um, and, and you know, you look at his first year, 22%. At some point, he's going to go back to that, you know? So just in terms of, like, uh, career arcs and stuff, at some point, he's going to – his strikeout rate's going to get worse again. So, uh, But, you know, he's 24. It probably won't happen for another two, three years. Yeah, I would say probably a floor for him is, like, 280 and – might as well also say 23 home runs because that's what he's done the last two years. Right. I, I think he's pretty safe, and he probably doesn't necessarily have as much upside as most think. And the fact that he finished fifth in overall value, I think if anything, he's going to be overvalued next year. But there, there is a very good chance that he's just fairly valued. $18, I mean, shoot. I guess, you know, there is some value in, in, in certainty, so... I might I might go fifteen to twenty bucks on him, and that seems like a very uh, normal proposition. You know, he's like a mid round guy. He's a he. You know, he won't he'll help you in batting average probably, and uh, he won't hurt you in power. And uh, you know, he'll he'll have a good team probably again. So RBI probably good. So you know, but I just you know, I could see that pushing it 22, 23, 24, 25 bucks. You know, oh no no come on. Oh, 26. I want him to be my third rounder. Oh, 27. And then you're like, well, dude, are you sure that he's going to add another 10 bucks on top of that? Yeah, and bottom line is he actually isn't all that different from a Billy Butler and an Alan Craig. Somebody who does have the upside for 20 to 25 home runs, batting around 300, and hitting in the middle of a lineup with uh, a pretty good chance at 100 RBIs. I mean, yeah, yeah, those are, those are great names to put out there. I mean, if I'm going to get. Billy Butler or, or or Alan Craig for two to five bucks. I could get both those guys for ten bucks, and I will have a better utility bat than you will, probably. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going with whoever's cheaper, and that's yeah. probably going to be Craig and Butler. Yeah, a lot cheaper. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper on the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>